Welcome to the Crexy Podcast, an insider's look at all things commercial real estate. I'm Ashley Kopovich, Regional Director at Crexy, and today's host. Each episode, the Crexy team dives into a broad range of topics and conversations with featured experts to investigate trends, educate listeners, and understand the latest industry news in commercial real estate. As the nation's fastest growing online CRE platform, we're excited to provide a window into the inner workings of commercial real estate for this generation and the next. Welcome and thank you all for joining this episode of the Crexy Podcast. I'm your host, Ashley Kopovich, Regional Director at Crexy. And today I'm thrilled to sit down with Nicoletti DePaul of the NNN Pro Group. Welcome, Nico. Thanks for having me. Of course. Before we dive in, a little bit about our guests. Nicoletti DePaul is the Chief Operating Officer of the NNN Pro Group, one of the top performing net lease brokerage teams in the country. Nico joined the NNN Pro Group in 2012 and oversees the company's day-to-day operations. Nico has structured and advised on the largest transactions in the net lease market over the past 10 years. Nico has a diverse financial and statistical background to accompany significant brokerage experience across various industries. Nico, welcome to the podcast. Well, I know that we just went over a little bit about your background, but take us back all the way to the beginning. Where are you from? Where'd you grow up? And how'd you get your start in commercial real estate? Sure. I grew up in New Jersey, went to school in the Bronx in New York at Fordham. Started in real estate when my now partner, Glenn Konofsky, kind of tricked me into not going to law school and, and, and following a career in real estate instead. I'd shown up for a internship interview, something I was interested in, real estate in general. I've been majored in business and finance, had a real estate class or two. Um, showed up for an interview. He had asked me if I was here for the full-time position or, or the internship. And so I just took it as an opportunity to say the full-time position interviewed and almost about 12 years later that's uh i'm still there now partners started as a junior analyst uh with the company with nnm pro group so it's the only company that i've ever worked at full time um and here i am today that's awesome funny enough i actually got tricked into being into sales as well so i took i was also from new jersey so i came into new york city for an hr internship because i went to school for psychology and got tricked in by the ceo and said no you're going to be in sales (laughs) so here we are also almost 12 years later in sales so Welcome. Uh, it was a nice trick, I guess, for yeah, us both to be here. Yeah, hopefully you're as happy as I am. <laughs> I am. I am. Absolutely. Um, well, tell me a little bit about how you then got started into triple net assets. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's all the company had focused on um, at the time. It was a much, much smaller shop. I was like the sixth or seventh person at the time. Um, the business had, had been around for I don't know, 12, 13 years at that point. Um, but NetLease was all we had done just on a much smaller scale. Um, and Glenn had a vision for the business and the company and what he wanted to grow it into. And we, we just continued doing what we know best in NetLease um, and just grew the team to the hundred-ish people that we are today um, and just kept trying to take you know, more and more market share as we could and just kind of bring new offerings, new product types, um, you know, highly structured transactions, a lot of new ideas where we thought were innovative. Um, and the space hadn't seen, 
Um, and I think it served us well. It's gotten us to, to where we are now, but we're just kind of stuck with what we know best in, in NetLease. So that's lovely. So you kind of talked, I mean, you've been at the same role. Obviously, Glenn, I'm sure, has been very influential in your career, going from sixth or seventh employee all the way up to 100 now. I'm sure you've learned a lot of lessons along the way. I'm sure you've had a lot of mentors. So talk to us a little bit about who some of the biggest mentors were and some of the lessons that they imparted on you. Sure. I mean, obviously, it, it goes without saying that Glenn's been the most influential on me. One, he's created so many things in this space that no one's seen. And, you know, he's the predominant person there for a very, very long time and created, you know, the the private marketplace as we see it today. Um, so he's been the most influential just from the product type itself, sales, um, structuring transactions, different things. And then he's always just thought creatively. Um, about how we approach things and not just kind of doing everything status quo. Beyond that, you know, it's, it's when you talk about mentors, it means like kind of a lot of different things. I think one of the biggest things that's important at our company and what in brokerage in general um, is a work ethic that really needs to kind of overcome everything because it's difficult, obviously. Um, and so, you know, just growing up, my parents worked very hard. My father still works very hard. Um, so I think that's something that's hard to learn later in life. So I think that's obviously one of the most influential things. And then just different things. It's funny kind of how life works before this when I was in high school and through college. Um, I worked at a trophy store, which is an interesting thing to work at um, and learn sales there and running a small business and different things. So the founder owner of that who I worked very closely with um, at home in Jersey um, was really influential too. And kind of everything is revolved around sales. And then there's a ton of people in the um, industry in general that, you know, if it's at different private equity shops um, or if it's at different REITs or whatever it may be, people my own age, people who are older um, that I've learned from and have taken from, um, I like to think that I give back now the same way, but I've always embraced just trying to learn as much from everyone as possible. So just trying, I, I think I owe a lot of where I am today and the knowledge and everything that I have from more people than you can count because I think everyone kind of contributes to to your growth along the way. Yep, absolutely. I think that anyone can teach you anything. I love listening to podcasts, obviously doing <laughs> them as well. But even if you pick up one or two things, you can always learn. Doesn't matter if it's from a four year old or you know an eighty two year old. There's something to always be learned absolutely. and take with you. So speaking on some of those lessons, what were some lessons that you learned early on that have shaped your career and kind of become a core lesson or invaluable to your success? Sure. Uh, I mean, our business has morphed um, pretty dramatically over the last decade, more so over the last five years and even the last three years. Um, we've become more institutionalized. I think our shop's a bit different, too, um, in how we try to approach things. We have a ton of analysts. We have a ton of VP and MD level people and non-traditional sales roles. We think that we're kind of the the benchmark for uh, credit underwriting, real estate underwriting, understand the complexity kind of our space beyond just leases and real estate. Um, and so learning along the way that we needed to have the right team around and function, you know, as a holistic unit that could offer a lot of services beyond just trying to sell assets. And some of that stemmed from like two, two, three years in, we were working on one of the larger sale leasebacks that had occurred at the time. 
Um, I've always been very good at math. My Excel skills haven't been as good as, as they should and definitely aren't today. Um, so I've made up for it with math. And I remember giant spreadsheets I've been working on for for weeks and then getting kind of to the last stretch of it and and just messing something up by accident on a sort and like not realizing we didn't have a lot of people around me at the time from an analysis standpoint to double check. Sent it out, realized it was wrong immediately, fixed it within like two or three minutes and it was to a large private equity client. Um, and to this day, they still don't let me live that down. And there was like the brief, like 20 minutes before they're like, yeah, it doesn't matter. You already sent the revised one out, um, where I was under my desk and I'm like, this is my home now. I'm never going to leave here. Um, so taking away from that, like at the moment after and just Glenn and I huddling up, we're like, we need to, if we're really going to do this and grow it to where we want it to be and be viewed as kind of a premier advisor in the space and, and on par with how people think about consultants or investment banks or advisors or whatever it may be, we needed the appropriate team and infrastructure around that. Um, and given that that was the scariest moment in my career at that time, it was one of the most pivotal to thinking about what it is we wanted to grow and you know how we wanted to be better. And we've employed that across kind of everything and how we're set up today and the resources we have and how things are staffed and just the level of, you know, uh, the level of care that we're giving our clients. That's awesome. I think that you said a lot there. You can't make it to the top on your own, right? Mm -hmm. You have to put the team in place and don't feel bad about your Excel or math skills. Mine are pretty non-existent, <laughs> so I'm sure you're doing really well. Um, but that's a lesson to our listeners that sometimes a mistake can be extremely pivotal and course correct into what you're meant to do. So always just, again, be learning based on you know your past mistakes or from other people. So yeah, I love sharing that. Um, moving on to our second topic for the day, let's go into triple net leases. So NNN Pro, um, talk to us about that. Talk to us about current marketing market happenings. Um, so provide a little context to our listeners who might not know what NNN Pro is, how the team gets started, what goals and services do you provide for your clients? Um, sure. So, you know, like I mentioned, in its infancy, just a brokerage shop is to what we think today is a full service advisory company. So brokerage and everything that leaves, regardless of the product type is, is specialists in, in the different product types within the company, but everything brokerage. So if it's, you know, the, the mom and pop side on, on buy side, if it's billion dollar sponsor backed or public company or founder owned sale leaseback programs, we're doing that and kind of everything in between. So, you know, groups that are looking for different capital sources, which is prevalent today, obviously on the sale leaseback side, I think our group has done more than anyone in that space and we've custom tailored more. Um, but we put a tremendous amount of value on the fact that we service the entirety of the market. I mean, because they play into each other, the buyers and the sellers and, and who's interacting with each other. You may have a, you know, a multi-billion dollar public company that's doing a transaction with a doctor in Arkansas who's buying something. And so it's important to know um, what each party wants and being able to service their different needs because everything's equally as important regardless of the size. It's just that people have different goals and whatnot. And so we structured the company where we think we have the right people in the different buckets to be servicing everything. So, you know, if you have a property you want to sell, if you are trying to raise several hundred million dollars through your real estate as part of your uh, capital stack um, on the company side, if you're looking to buy something and you want to get into net lease in the first place, we're doing all of that. 
um, and all throughout the country. The majority of our teams traveling on a very, very regular, consistent basis, I'm sure more than we all want to be. Um, but seeing every asset, going to the assets with our clients that are on the buy side, making sure that we've had you know feet on the ground when we're selling it for our clients. Um, and we've grown to where we think we can service every single aspect of the market today effectively, which is the most important part. Um, and so that's really what it's grown into. And we have people who spread out, you know, it's easy to work remote today, obviously. Um, we have our core offices, but we have different people in different states for where we need to be in different specializations. Um, so that's what we're doing. Um, I can jump more into the market if that's what no, you want to No, that's to. perfect. And and I think that's important. And, and a little bit of what set you, sets you guys apart is you do have the boots on the ground. You do travel and see every asset and don't just use photos of it. You're there. You know the building as much as the owner does. So that really sets you apart as a firm. So appreciate you kind of sharing that with us. For some of our listeners that don't necessarily know what a triple net investment mm-hmm. is, tell us a little bit about what the difference is in that space and maybe some of the pros and cons of it. Sure. So, um, yeah, real estate is kind of an all-encompassing term, right? When everyone's <laughs> like, what am I buying? You know, half the people are asking if we can sell their home and different things like that. Um, so it can mean a lot of different things. And the commercial real estate world can mean a lot of different things. But net lease in particular, the easiest way to think about it is if I own a net lease property, I'm the landlord. The rent that I'm collecting is the rent that's going into my bank account. So if you own other type of commercial assets, or even if you own residential assets that you're renting or whatever it may be, um, or you own your home yourself, um, you're collecting rent, but then you have expenses associated with that real estate. So if I have a retail strip um, in the middle of Alabama, and I'm collecting $100,000 of rent on an annual basis, I'm going to have expenses. I'm going to have to fix the parking lot. I'm going to have to fix the roof. I'm going to have to you know, repair the walls between the buildings. I have my real estate taxes on my insurance. Um, so $100,000 may end up being $20,000 at the end of the day. In net lease, if I own a net lease property, and I can talk about some examples, but if I own a net lease property and I collect $100,000, that's what's going to my bank account. Unfortunately, you always have to pay taxes, so that's going <laughs> out. Um, but that hundred thousand dollars is what you're getting. So the net port, the net phrase in net lease is referring to is net of all the expenses. And that's because the in a triple net lease and an absolute net lease, the money you're collecting is what you're getting. So people view it as you know coupon coupon clippers, um, mailbox money, mm-hmm. things like that, mm-hmm. and, and rent that's coming in. Um, and then you have variations as you do with anything. You have something called a double net lease, which means a million different things. It's just kind of a, an all-encompassing catch-all um, where, you know, maybe you're responsible for just the roof and the and the parking lot, but everything else you aren't. Um, and then there's kind of a million iterations, but where we focus on exclusively triple net leases or absolute net leases because they're kind of interchangeable, it means the rent you're collecting, you don't have any expenses, you don't have any landlord obligations okay. um, is what a net lease is regardless of the product type. Awesome. And what are some of the pros and cons of that? Sure. So the pros are, you know, inflation, valuable today, inflation hedges, right? Trash removal costs go up, taxes go up, cost of insurance goes up, um, repairs. If anyone who's trying to do construction on their home or anything else and they can't do it, or you're like me and you moved in, a, a, you know, 14, 15 months past uh, when you were supposed to move in because um, the construction took too long. Um, you know, 
all those costs can go up. And so you have to look at it variably as to how much income you're going to make. You have to be working on raising your rent. Is it contractual? Um, but the benefit of net lease is since you're not incurring any of the expenses, that's the money you're mm-hmm. receiving. Um, and the majority of net leases today, there's some there's some exclusions, obviously, but the majority of net leases today also have built-in rental increases. Mm-hmm. So the one piece of inflation and dollars being worth less today, you have some level of hedge against that while not incurring any of the expenses. So as a landlord, that's the the best piece for you. And then as far as cons go, it means that there's some limitation as to how much it can appreciate. Um, you know, for the most part, it's going to be more consistent growth and more linear type of appreciation rather than exponential versus because they're usually subject to long term leases with your tenants, uh, meaning that they're going the tenants going to control it 10, 15, 20 years mm-hmm. with those rental increases being at least scheduled in there. Um, but it doesn't mean you can you can't buy a 20 year triple net lease asset on a hard corner that you think is going to, you know, a suburb of Atlanta that's going to become the next big thing. Um, you can't sell that four years from now for 10 times the value. So you, you lose kind of those big swings, but from consistent cash flow generating type of assets, it's a safer type of vehicle um, when you're making those investments. Perfect. Thank you for that. That was very educational. So historically, how have triple net assets performed in down markets? And how do companies typically adjust operations and how have owners or seeking investors pivoted accordingly? Mm -hmm. Um, Depends like anything else, right? Um, So given that most triple net properties are subject to long-term leases, as long as the tenant can pay your rent, you can weather kind of where values go up and down, Mm -hmm. um, right? Because you can kind of sit through cycles because they're obligated to pay your rent, you're going through it. And so the risk associated with that is in a you know, recessionary type of environment or in a down market, um, you're not looking just a down real estate market. You really have to look at the economy as a whole and, and what that means. And is this industry, is this tenant going to be able to service the rent? Um, you do that underwriting going up front. That's obviously where we think we're experts in what we're, we're providing. Um, but you're doing that underwriting up front to get comfortable with the credit, to think through what it might look like if you're in a different environment and what's recession proof what's counter cyclical you know where are you going to see that that tenant is doing even better in a down market things like that that you're looking at um it's not like it's not without risk like anything else you know the stock market's not without risk um but you don't you know it's not the same if you own a multifamily building and it's an individual having to pay their rent typically a company's going to have better credit um and it's not a shopping center or a retail strip where subject to shorter term leases, the credits are smaller, might be harder to go in and out. You're responsible for the expenses as the landlord. Um, so as far as, as long as you're underwriting sound going into, and there's always gonna be exceptions, things happen. Um, but if you're underwriting going into is sound, it typically because the long-term nature, the tenant being responsible for the variable expenses, um, you sh- typically are able to kind of go through cycles, which is what it's designed to do. Right. Um, so, so long as you're underwriting those things, that's where it should perform. But like anything else, values go down in a down market and values go up, but you don't necessarily need to sell because you're making the same money mm-hmm. as if you were six months ago, nine months sure. ago. Cool. No, absolutely. So as we're navigating the market changes and everything going on in 2023 so far and looking ahead, what are the most important things to consider right now in that market shift? So give us your 30,000 foot overview on where the market is right now, what changing 
is happening, what's most worthy of our attention, and what's just kind of fluff. Sure. Um, a few different ways to look at it, honestly, right now. I mean, part of anything being down, you obviously, from a buy perspective, want to make sure that you're going in at the right values. And there's always a, a bid ask. You know, sellers tend to hold out a bit longer, thinking the market's going to rebound. Buyers tend to think it's going to look at a better deal if they wait a little bit longer, right? That's kind of the nature of what we're dealing with. Um, I think given kind of where we are right now and how many months have gone by, um, you know, where interest rates are, which obviously debt's a huge driver of real estate value because most people are using leverage. Um, you know, there's some people who think that interest rates are going to come back down pretty dramatically. I don't subscribe to that. Um, but some people think that's going to be the case, you know, to the extent that we're calling it flatter right now where we're kind of getting around a norm. Um, you know, you're able to get better values from a buy side perspective than you could six months ago, nine mm -hmm. months ago, 12 months ago. Mm -hmm. um, so there's a lot of opportunity. Um, you do, again, going into it, have to underwrite the businesses appropriately and who's paying your rent and what it is, right? That's kind of the biggest thing right now, you know, not buying something that's riskier necessarily unless you're prepared to deal with that risk. It's really your appetite. Um, but where there's a really interesting kind of huge opportunity on the buy side and even on the sell side too for, for people who are selling their real estate, you have a lot of companies um, who have held onto the real estate for a very long time um, who haven't been inclined to sell because debt's been so cheap and their corporate debt facilities have been so cheap um, where you're having what is a lot of really good real estate product come to the market that historically no one has wanted to sell and there's no reason to. So there's a really good opportunity to buy a credit that you otherwise historically haven't been able to and just what's good real estate. Um, because people are looking on the operating business side, on the private equity side, on public companies. Um, they are looking to do a sale lease back, so sell their real estate, lease it back to themselves um, as a way of funding their business, funding growth and continuing operations, whereas they could borrow you know, their business debt at 2 or 3% uh, not too long ago, you know, doing a sale lease back and a buyer paying you 6 or 7% is pretty good relative to where debt is. And so if I'm a buyer, you obviously don't want to overpay for something today and it has to make sense. But there's a there's in some instance generational real estate or generational credits that you are brands or businesses that people have always wanted um, that are coming to the market here. Some already are, but are coming to the market here kind of in the near future. Um, that is a really good opportunity to get something you otherwise wouldn't be able to. Sure. So elaborate a little bit about that is, are you seeing any differences across different asset types, whether it's volume coming to market, things selling quicker, break down a little bit of that for our listeners. Sure. Um, so I don't, NetLease is interesting in that it's never really particularly like, oh, this product type's coming now, or this product type is coming because people are just running their businesses the way that they're running them. But we are seeing a lot more sale lease spec product that's going to be coming to the market and already is. And there's attractive yields relative to where they've where they've traded it historically. And even if you think this is the new environment for the next few years before you see any level of appreciation, which isn't always going to be true for everything, the beauty of net lease is you're collecting those rent checks. You can be patient in in doing that. So I don't think it's a particular product if it's restaurant versus tires versus oil change versus medical, animal hospitals, industrial, whatever it may be. I think it's just that you're seeing a lot of sale leaseback product come to the market versus 
you know, a developer selling a lease mm -hmm. or someone selling a midterm lease, whatever it may be. So you have an opportunity to negotiate your own lease if you're buying, get the terms that you want, underwrite your asset. And so it's kind of across the board and across the spectrum of it. And we're seeing attractive yields for people and it makes sense for the sellers. Mm -hmm. Any advice that you would have for either younger brokers or younger investors coming into the market and how to navigate it right now? Yeah. So from the brokerage side, now is a very difficult time. Like it's difficult for, for the most seasoned brokers in the space, but there's a ton of opportunity in difficult times. I mean, even when, um, you know, we're talking March, April, May of 2020 during COVID, we pivoted and went on the offensive and we're calling people and doing different things. There's a ton of opportunity in a down market um, or what is going to be perceived as a down market. So the biggest advice and kind of advice in general, if, if you're going to go into brokerage, um, you should be willing to work nonstop. It's the reality of it, right? It's, it's, it's what you hear. And everyone says that they work extremely hard or what it is, but you're not making any money unless you're working really hard is the idea. Like even today, mm -hmm. I'm still working seven days a week is the reality mm -hmm. of it. And you have to do that right now in particular. So it's work hard and don't kind of be uh, – don't fall for the trap of what it was the last few years where mm -hmm. it was easier to do things like this is where experts in their field are made or this is where success is made, where you can work hard when everyone else isn't willing to do that. Mm -hmm. um, so that's the biggest thing. And I know that's easy to say, but it's it's not easy to do. Yeah, right. That's sure. an easy thing to say. It's not easy to do. And then on the buy side, um, you know, don't fall for like every fad that's out there, like in anything else where people just throw their money into a get rich kind of thing. I know for new people investing and kind of there's been a shift socially to trying to get these big swings like pretty early on. There's value in buying something that maybe has a one year plan or a two year plan or a three year plan um, and investing and not putting it. But there's a lot of opportunities now. Um, where I do think if you're willing to buy and hold something for the next few years, you're going to get that appreciation that's not typical of net lease. So you're telling me I, I can't get rich quick? No, unless you can figure out how to like NFT someone's sale lease back and then sell that for a bunch of money. But I don't oh, think they I don't think they figured that out yet. I don't even want to get into that topic. <laughs> about it. But thanks for that. I appreciate yeah. it. So a lot of our, our listeners, you know, the only way out is through, right? You got to keep going, keep doing the things day in and day out, you know, have a plan and do those. What are some of your tried and true methods or things that you do daily, weekly, monthly? What are those kind of methods that people can take away from, from you? I try to read pretty much as, like, mm. as much as anything possible. I'm not talking about like how-to books and like real estate and things like that. But you know, every kind of article that you can, things that aren't specific to real estate articles, if you know that you're focusing on the restaurant industry, looking at trends, looking at the cost of goods and what's driving those values and why they may or may not be making as much money historically, mm -hmm. can they pay these rents, things like that. So, you know, industry specific things, articles, any type of financial event, you're selling real estate, but it's still driven by the economy and everything else and debt rates. Um, so trying to, it's back to what we were talking about before, just trying to learn yep. as much as possible from everyone, mm -hmm. um, asking a ton of questions on everything. I'm still asked questions today. I still call people today. And again, people have been in it less than I have, or people have been in more than I have. 
Um, so trying to educate yourself as much, much as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and then beyond that, it's just sticking to your schedule. And what you, if you're going, if you say you're going to make X amount of calls that day, make sure you're making X mm-hmm. amount of call. No one likes to do that <laughs> and get yelled at when you make a phone call, but if that's what you're going to do, and if you were going to database from 6am to 8am, then like, mm-hmm. that's what you have to do. Um, I think discipline and like kind of regimenting what you're doing right now mm-hmm. and just being the most knowledgeable is what's going to drive you. So that when a client asks you or a potential client, asks you a question that you can actually answer. You're supposed to be advising them, not just trying to sell a property. Um, So those are the biggest things right now, I think, separate kind of the good brokers from the bad brokers. Absolutely. I think that accountability and that discipline, do what you say you're going to do, do it right, do it well, keep educating yourself. So I always ask people, what are some books that you would recommend if there's anything or different articles or columns that you read to stay up to date and Constantly yeah, that's so funny. Like in NetLease, and even when like I had started, and I asked Glenn or the few other people on the team or just people in the space, there's like no specific book to NetLease like at all. <laughs> um, and just like even kind of real estate in general, like you just have to keep like looking up and trying to figure it out. Um, you know, the usual suspects and anything from an article perspective, mm-hmm. and like it depends on what industry. Some people are focusing on one thing versus the other. So any. T- we're heavy in the private equity space. So subscribe to, you know, when people are raising money, um, transactions that are happening, just opinions on the space and what's going on. Any of the newsletters for bankers in the space too, um, who are out selling businesses or whatever it may be, I'm trying to sign up to their list as well. Um, it's everything. And I know that sounds kind of like a throwaway, but like I try to read as much as possible, even if it's silly things when you're trying to figure out like social commentary and what's going on. Yep. So like different articles and whatnot, but it's just, you know, setting your Google alerts for like every single thing relative to what you're doing. And it might be 30 different things that you're kind of going through. Yep. Absolutely. I was going to say Google alerts. Exactly. I do that for my own market as well. So I, I hundred percent agree with that. Um, do you have any surprising or controversial thoughts about the current market happenings that you would like to share? Um, no, <laughs> nothing surprising or controversial. I think it's the same thing. Like I, my biggest answer I gave is like, I have no idea what's going to happen. No one does. And if I was really, really good at knowing what was going to happen, I probably would be doing something else yeah. um, is kind of the easiest go away. But no, I think it's just a function of people need to be deliberate. And it's important to tell clients what you actually think something is worth versus what it's not. Um, but no, I don't. No, I think even most recently with what's going on with regional banks and everything else, like there's still what we're going to see as a ripple effect to our space, given that he lends so much kind of in net lease and in commercial real estate in general. I don't think we know what that's going to look like. If it was if it was February, I would say that hopefully there's going to be some level of softening on rates at the end of the year and maybe cap rates come down a little bit from where they were, not meaningfully. Um but we don't, right? Everything just keeps changing so so quickly now. So I think it's just on a weekly basis, trying to stay on top of where things are and seeing where it is, knowing where the debt markets are, um, and just being deliberate in what you're what you're doing and honest. Mm-hmm. I think that was a close to a crystal ball as we could probably. Yeah, there's get, not. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> so thanks for sharing that. Um, given your specialized background and expertise, I'm sure our listeners are curious about a few rapid fire questions that I'm going to ask. Sure. They don't have to be rapid fire answers, but <laughs> okay. I will just throw out a few questions for you. 
So first, if you were given $10 million today and had to invest it immediately, what would your go-to asset type be, location, and why? Probably stick it in a money market account and wait a month and see which <laughs> rates went, uh, which way they went. But um, we're the beauty of net lease market agnostic on everything, mm-hmm. right? And, mm-hmm. and and that kind of gets lost too. And you know, being in New York or being in LA, like it doesn't need to be all coastal towns. There's great towns throughout all of America, and there's really good real estate throughout all of America. And um, you know rich suburbs and this and that and growing communities and whatever it may be or just the most popular restaurant in town and there's a reason to buy that that piece of real estate um so i don't always we're, we're pretty agnostic when it comes to real estate um where would i invest it today um you know for 10 million dollars i honestly would probably break it up and try and do smaller slugs like two to three million dollar properties and kind of spread it around you know, I still think quick service restaurants are going to be here for a long time. They obviously did really well during COVID. It's kind of a safe bet if you're buying the right credit. drive throughs are harder and harder to get, which we're seeing in a variety of different spaces. So there's long-term intrinsic value in there. Um, there's tax benefits related to certain assets from a depreciation perspective. Um, so car wash and just an industry that does really really well as far as performance go it historically has forever too did really well during covid um one of the few tenants still paying i guess kind of going to a car wash with it was a treat <laughs> for a lot of people then um and then the rest i don't know you know there's there's a lot of new development going on there's people who need capital where yields are attractive so you know probably those two from an anchor perspective and then something from someone's building a new oil change or a new gas station or even we do a lot in the medical space the we do a lot of animal hospitals and things like that um where people love their pets a lot of times more than their own children so (laughs) they'll spend the money on it um so i'm not sure you'd have to you know look at it kind of piece by piece but yeah whatever the kind of best opportunity with some anchoring in Mm -hmm. it to make sure it's still safe and a lot of people got pets during the pandemic so that that's very smart Mm -hmm. appreciate that answer um second one and i promise this is not a trick question what is your favorite tool to use on the job and why i only use correxy for everything (laughs) i send my emails through correxy um uh so right i'm we're on just being a broker i'm i'm sure you're the exact same way just dealing with everyone but I'm on my phone 24 seven, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Um, so obviously I'm gonna do my little plug for, for Correxio, my little <laughs> shout out for it. Um, but one of the quickest, easiest things for us when we're pulling things up or two if I'm out, if they're asking about something that we don't have listed or whatever it is, nine times out of 10, it's on Correxio. Mm-hmm. You know, or when another broker's saying they sold a billion uh, a billion Burger Kings and you go on Crexley and they have one listing and usually doesn't translate. So it's a quick way to kind of disprove people in a meeting as well. Um, but we've invested a lot internally. So a bunch of different programs and everything that we're using. Um, but again, I rely on my team a lot. So quite frankly, beyond, you know, just being on my phone and being on email or taking calls, um, there's our website and then pro.com. Um, and then there's, uh, and we're using, we're using correcting. And look, it's from the beginning. I think we were one of the first people mm-hmm. that posted all of our yep. listings on, Absolutely. um, and I've known Mike for a long time. There's a reason we did that in the, in the first place, because a lot there's, you know, you almost have to subscribe to a lot of the other ones just because it's kind of like an industry standard, but a lot of everything else has become a juncture of listings versus like actually selling something. Um, 
So it's been meaningful and with the same thing, you know, we see some uh, functionality that, that you all are doing and then we steal it and stick it on our website, whatever, <laughs> whatever we're doing. But beyond that, like I'm not using a ton of things that are specialized. Like we have our proprietary CRM. We have our proprietary system for how we're tracking things internally, for, like on our MLS that's not broad. Um, but beyond that, like there's not a product type in the space that I really love. More than, you know, I'm just on my phone like anyone else kind of is. Yep, absolutely. The phone is the number one thing. It's all about relationships in this business, making sure you're checking in and doing that. So amazing. Um, And then third, what is the most common misconception about your job or the industry in general? Um, I think I probably tackle both with the same answer. Like there's like brokers considered a dirty word, right? In the sense of like we're in NetLease in particular, we're de- dealing with a lot of bankers, with a lot of banks, with a lot of private equity, with a lot of um, publics, like I mentioned, with private, with REIT, REITs, and we're a part of the capital stack as much as anything else. And we're an advisor that's extremely important and integral to what it is. And it just becomes kind of like this this toss away where people don't, don't think it's glamorous and the times it's not. Um, but I think conceptually like there's the negativity around and like that's what we've tried to reinvent around when it comes to our group and our team and what we're doing and making people um feel pride in what they're doing at the company and that we're wholesome advisors and i tell Mm -hmm. people um the broker when they ask and what i do and sometimes they ask if i could sell their house um (laughs) but beyond that like there's nothing like every job's a job and no job's better better than another one Um, and there's plenty of people who are selling houses and and making more than everyone else in the room. So I think there's this negative word around broker and that people are just trying to sell things, which is not what we do. We try to build relationships. We try to create the best possible outcome for whomever our client is. And sometimes it's both of them. We're on both sides of it Mm -hmm. and figuring out, you know, what makes sense. And so I think the common misconception is that people are just trying to drive towards getting a commission check or something Mm -hmm. else. And the people who are good at their jobs and that we interact and people who aren't a part of our firm either a ton of relationships and friends and we co-broke a lot and like a lot of people and that's also kind of how we're different too and a lot of people don't co-broke like there's people who care about their clients and what they're doing and you should take pride in what you're doing and it's a way of being able to start with nothing but a phone call and no salary or whatever it may be um and build something for yourself, for your family and build relationships and people who say thank you and different things. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's kind of the the biggest takeaway. And like anyone who's listening, like there's nothing wrong with going into brokerage and sales and there's a tremendous opportunity for you. Um, and I think that's kind of what gets lost in the same, you know, our clients thank us all the time. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You become that friend and that advisor and you know, you're the honest salespeople. I know maybe that sounds like an oxymoron sometimes. I mean, that's definitely a misconception in sales in general, but if you're a good person, people are going to remember that and people want to work with you based off your brand. So I absolutely agree with that. Awesome. Um, any other parting words for our listeners, any advice that you would give, maybe pretend this is your younger self or anything that you want our listeners to know? Um, no, I don't think there's anything else that stands out. Like I've always just been a big proponent of this space and this industry has so much opportunity and the landscape is so wide. Like anything's a net lease and for people who don't know, it can be the bank on your corner or it can be the deli, it can be the 2 million square foot industrial facility that's making canoes. Like it could be anything and you don't realize like how 
all encompassing it is and how much space there is to to carve out your own business and grow and do that. Um, and so, you know, that's what I would say. Like there's, I didn't want to go down a traditional route. I was, I was joking before, but I'm, you know, extremely happy that I didn't go to law school and I did this and there's lawyers who are happy that they're lawyers and there's nothing. And, and that's how it is. But I wanted something that was entrepreneurial and that I can go into and that I knew if I dedicated myself and worked hard that there's not a lot of bears. There's not people holding you back. And I'd say like at our company, particularly with Glenn, I started as a junior analyst. I'm the COO and I'm his partner and, and own the business with him. Um, like he really likes seeing people succeed. And I really, really like seeing people mm-hmm. succeed. We take pride in that at our company and people doing that. And that's what the opportunity is. Mm-hmm. Um, so like that's the only thing I would encourage anyone to look at this and and not think of it as kind of a toss away or, or, you know, a backup plan or backup backup plan <laughs> is the only piece because there's a lot of people who are really, really successful in it and who've done for really sure. well for themselves. For sure. I mean, I took that away as an absolute opportunity. I know it's cliche to say the sky is the limit, but you know, that's kind of what you just told me. So I'm excited about that. And I know that our listeners will take that away as well. So, Nico, thank you so much for sitting down with us today. It's been an absolute pleasure. I know you're very busy, so thank you. If our listeners want to get in touch, how can they reach you? Email, website, give us Uh, all your deets. Website has my email on my phone number, but (laughs) email, I have no social media. Um, Email is ndepaul at nnmpro.com, N-D-E-P-A-U-L. Um, and then they can also just call me or message me on that, whatever they want to do. But no, they probably won't find me on, uh, on Instagram or TikTok. We love that. We, love, <laughs> we absolutely love that for you. Thanks everyone for tuning in. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure not to miss the next one. Visit go.crexy.com slash podcast. That's go.crexy, C-R-E-X-I.com forward slash podcast and sign up to get the very next episode delivered straight to your inbox. You can also subscribe to the Crexy Podcast on your favorite podcast app, or check out our YouTube channel at www.youtube.com slash Crexy for video recordings of each episode. Goodbye, stay well, and we'll see you next time.